Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at verse 8 through to 26, but just um, for us this morning, let's start to read at verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. So, I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, factions, and every and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Shall we pray? Father, we just come before you this morning as we gather around this passage and we again seek your guidance that you might speak to us through it, that you might challenge us and encourage us as we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying to these uh, Galatian Christians, don't give up your freedom. Don't yield to the confusion. And in verse 8, he says that that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. You see, the methods being used to influence the church could be recognized as not being from God. How did Paul know this? Well, it was by him knowing enough about the original, meaning that he could recognize the counterfeit. And he uses this illustration in verse 9 that they will very, be very familiar with. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now then, not many of us make our own bread. But some of you might enjoy gardening. 
That's a little bit of information for you. In 1839, the Victorian plant hunters introduced into the British Isles a beautiful pink flower called Himalayan balsam. And the botanists loved it. It's now classed as one of the most invasive plants, a plant that competes with the native plants of this land, competes for light, nutrients, pollinators and space, and excluding other plants, and so reducing the biodiversity of our land. You see, it dies back in the winter, and it leaves the riverbank banks bare and open to erosion, and dead leaves and plant debris from the weeds block waterways, and this leads to flooding. And the government's environmental agency estimates that it would cost over three hundred million pounds to be eradicated from the UK. You see, just like a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, since the days of Paul the Apostle, the introduction of legalistic demands made on people have, in some cases, reduced the gospel to becoming, in the words of Paul himself, no gospel at all. This is by the teaching that salvation comes by the efforts that we make, and we do that by conforming to what are a set of religious rules. Rules that demand that we work for our salvation. Rules that basically mean come to church on Sunday and then sin on Monday. Now this is what is in danger of happening in the churches in Galatia. Something that appears to be attractive, but if accepted, it would gradually be an invasion of, of real doctrine that would smother the true gospel. And this situation needs to be nipped in the bud, hence Paul's letter. Verse 10 says, and this is Paul speaking, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. You see, Paul's confidence is in them. It's the confidence that he has in Christ and the confidence he has in the true good news that salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. You know, Paul tackles this problem in his other letters, and in his letter to the Philippians, he said this in verse 6 of chapter 1, and it applies here to these Galatians. It also applies to us in our situations today. Paul said, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So back here in the letter to the Galatians in verse 11, he says, brothers and sisters, I'm still preaching. If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. You see, Paul, as he often does, presents a simple but logical argument. He's saying, look, why am I being persecuted? I am being persecuted. You know that. These people who, who are leading you away from the gospel are telling things about me that aren't true. And he says, 
They do that because I am preaching Christ and preaching him crucified. And the very fact that I am being persecuted for this is the evidence that I'm not telling you that you must be circumcised. Because if I were, then these false teachers would have stopped spreading lies about me. But they haven't. And as for these false religious teachers, Paul has something very, very strong to say to them. These are strong words in verse 12, words that speak for themselves. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Well, Paul will now return to the subject of freedom. You know, someone once said, and he said quite rightly so, that freedom is the liberty to do what is right. That's, that's a good um, description of freedom. It's not free to do anything and to do whatever you want. Freedom is the liberty, that is the freedom, to do what is right. So, and freedom is not only being set free from something, it's also being set free to do something. And Paul in verse 13 is going to cover both sides of the freedom that they have and that we have, that we have been given to us by the death of Jesus and by the grace of God. And what he's going to say now is, look, do not abuse it, but use it. And he says this in verse 13 through to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, for the Christians who have the ability to love their neighbor as they ought to, as they love themselves, this, this ability comes from the love that they have for God. We know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 15, Paul gives them a warning. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. In other words, if you continue in the direction that these false teachers are trying to lead you, then you will end up destroying each other and destroying the work of the gospel. Verse 16 through to 18, Paul is now going to remind them of something he said already as he spoke about Ishmael and Isaac. Verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will gratify. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And as I said, this takes us back to what Paul said in chapter 4, with the illustration that he uses to show them that the spirit and the flesh will struggle to live together in in fact, it's an impossibility, really. And because of that, one must go. 
And to live by the Spirit is to avoid sinful ways. And freedom in Christ is to be free from the penalty of sin and then having the freedom to live in the light of and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Well, first, Paul's going to give another warning. This is in verse 19 through to 21. He says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. You know, immorality, this is accepting things that may be seen as normal by society, but that would enslave us and enslave them and move us away from the love of God. Then he talks about idolatry and witchcraft. This is false religion. And these are things which will take them and us away from the true gospel. Then he goes on, he mentions hatred, Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. These are all emotional things. These are things of the heart. You know, jealousy and rage, selfishness. Then in verse 21, he continues, And envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is just a, a section of what Paul refers to as the things that they are set free from. And now that they are in Christ, he's saying to them, look, be honest, in your heart, do you really want to go back to living this way? Do you really want to go back to these things? Reminded there about an incident that Matthew records for us in Matthew 26. And we can read that. I just want to read you verse 40 and verse 41. And these are the words of Jesus to his disciples while they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was just prior to his arrest and crucifixion. He said this. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, we hear that phrase a lot and it's quite true. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And it can be like that in our lives, even as Christians. And that's why Paul has to write this letter. That's why Jesus had to say these words to his disciples, his faithful followers. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now that they are free from what they did do, they are now free to do what they can do with the freedom that they have in Jesus. And that's where we come to this very well-known section of the Bible, the fruits of the spirit. We have this in verses 22 through to 26. I want us to look at this very briefly this morning and for us to consider these things. But before we look at this, do not confuse it with the gifts of the Spirit. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are a variety of individual gifts and nobody is expected to have all of them. Now, the fruit of the Spirit 
Notice that. The fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is one item. That item is, it is fruit. A fruit containing the life and the nutrients of the parent plant. The nature of the vine is in the grape, the fruit. The grape has the fragrance. The grape has the texture. The grape has the taste. And when you look at the fruit, the fruit tells us which tree it came from. These are things that show others who our Father is. They are reflections of Jesus in our lives. And in verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They are all the elements of one thing. One thing that is available to all who follow Christ. For all who live in the freedom that Paul is talking about. Now what about these things? Well, let's just think about them just very, very briefly this morning. First one, love. Why is this the greatest? It's because God is love. And the first command is to love God. What about joy? Well, this is what we have in Christ. And it cannot destroy adverse. It cannot be destroyed by adversity. You know, Paul experienced this in many different ways. One of them was when he was in prison in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Not a nice place to be, to be arrested, to be thrown into a prison, to be chained. And this is what we read. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. This is joy. This is joy. I'm sure they weren't happy to be there, but they were joyful. Listen to what Paul said in Romans, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. There's many verses that we can turn up. We're going to look at a few more, really. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6 through to 7, and this is about joy. Paul said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of serve, suffering with joy, given by the Holy Spirit, and so you become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So this joy that we have is speaking something of who Jesus is. And then we have peace. Again from Paul, Romans 5, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
Abba, another verse from Philippians 4, verse 7, about peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are all part of who we should be. We should be patient, we should be kind, we should be good. Patience, kindness and goodness. Acts 10 verse 38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are how we should be. Each one of these things is a description of the freedom that those Galatian Christians have and that we have in Christ. And these things are all part of the new nature that we have in Jesus. And Paul is going to say, while the law condemns the things of the flesh, there is no law that condemns the things of the Spirit. Therefore, they're not under the law. The law is fulfilled by the way they are to live, as they live in Christ. That's why he's saying, verse 23, the second part of verse 23, against such things there is no law. Then in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, I don't know if you've ever read um, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, it's a really good book to read. And in that, the character Christian leaves his burden of sin at the foot of the cross. And this is evidence that Jesus, in his death, has taken the weight of his sin and our sin, taken it from us and placed it on his own shoulders. This is the gospel. And in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is a reminder from what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And in verse 26, let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Don't fight amongst yourselves. You know, this is what these false teachers were doing. They were throwing the church into confusion. They were causing them to not trust what Paul had taught them, not trust Paul. But Paul is saying, look, it's not me, it's the good news that I brought to you. Your trust is in Jesus. He's the one who has done everything that is necessary in order for you to be saved, to be set free from the power of sin. So now that you're set free from the power of sin, why go back and let your natural nature, your sinful nature, want to do those things that you did before? Now you have a new set of things that you do, you have a new life, you are a new creation in Christ. And these things are the things that you now live by. These things are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you have in Christ. And when people see this, 
they see something of Jesus. So a few things for us to think about this morning as we draw to the close of this. We've got one more chapter left in this book of Galatians. And we're going to look at that in due time. But in the meantime, just consider what we've looked at today. Maybe read this passage through again. Maybe read the whole chapter 5. And just think about these things and see what we need to apply to our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this short time that we spent around your word together. And we know that you can speak to us, not through the words that I'm saying, but the words that you say through your word and through the words of Paul. And Father, we pray that, yes, you will challenge us, that we might recognize that we are new creations in Christ and that there is a way that we should live and that way should be by the leading of the Spirit and not by the dictates of the flesh. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.